Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 196. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Before I jump into our awesome guest this week, I want to let you know about a great opportunity for you to be a part of, and that is AMSA's Pre-Med Fest, which is happening October 1st and 2nd in Tampa, Florida. Now, Pre-Med Fest, you come and hang out with other pre-med students, medical students, and doctors, and learn about the reality of what becoming a physician actually looks like. You can learn about emerging issues like physician assistant suicide, get insight on how to ace your interview, and participate in suturing clinics. Every activity is focused on helping you get in to medical school. Now they mentioned how you can learn about acing your interview. Guess who's gonna be there talking about acing your interview? That's right, I will be speaking at AMSA's Pre-Med Fest October 1st and 2nd, 2016. I think I'm only speaking one of the days. I know I'm only speaking one of the days, but the conference is the first and the second. And you can save some money by using the coupon code MSHQ17 and you get a discounted registration cost of $49 for AMSA members and $69 for non-AMSA members. So I really hope to see you in Tampa, Florida, October 1st and 2nd. If you go there and you listen to this podcast, Come say hi to me and introduce yourself because I would love to meet you. Again, October 1st through 2nd in Tampa, Florida, AMSA's Pre-Med Fest. Go to amsapremedfest.org. That's all one word, amsapremedfest.org to register. Again, the coupon code MSHQ17. So this week, I'm talking to an amazing surgeon, physician, who is doing some great things, kind of like what I started doing several years ago with a website and a podcast talking about some 
interesting things around medicine. Now, this physician is using what he's doing to rekindle his love of medicine. And he's going to talk about that, about how what he's doing has given him some more motivation, some more inspiration to hopefully avoid burnout. And he's talking to awesome physicians and what they're doing outside of work, related to work sometimes as well. Let's go ahead and say hi to Dr. Nee Darko. Nee, welcome to the pre-med years. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here. I'm excited to, to listen to your story again. We, we talked offline about it a while ago, and now we get to record it, and so I'm just excited. I, wa- I want to start with your background and when you initially decided you wanted to be a physician. <laughs> well, you know, probably 10 years ago or maybe even five years ago, the story would be really funny, but now it has a little bit of a of a eerie kind of taste or, or, or thought process to it. So, um, I grew up in, in New York city. I grew up in Queens, New York. Um, and then afterwards moved to, to Newark, New Jersey. Um, but, um, for me, you know, nobody in my family, um, was in the medical field. My mother actually was a nursing assistant, but nobody else in my family was in the medical field. And growing up, I remember just kind of you know, seeing what I saw on TV and kind of trying to aspire to be whatever was something that kind of resonated with me. So if it was, a, you know, I was grew up in New York City and during the 80s, I liked Dow Strawberry and I liked anybody from the Mets. Or <laughs> if it was someone on, on, you know, on music videos, I liked someone from music videos. But most importantly, the my most favorite TV show during that time actually was The Cosby Show. So <laughs> you can see where this is going. You <laughs> yeah, know? Co- Cosby. Um, the Cosby Show is a, uh, a the butt of the joke nowadays. Exactly, exactly. So you know what the thing that fascinated me was I was always interested in medicine. I was always interested in the lifestyle of a doctor at that time, but I didn't know what really a doctor did. What he, you know, what the daily lifestyle was for a doctor. So my only window into that was the Cosby Show, and for me, beautiful wife kids, lived in Brooklyn, <laughs> nice lifestyle, funny, affable type of personality. I mean, what else is there really to um, to want, you know, other than that and what he has in his life? So so remind me, because I, I used to watch Cosby. Was was he a doctor in the show? Yeah, he was a uh, OB-GYN doc. I did not remember that. Yeah, it was the, he delivered babies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I that was my first experience with physicians. And then obviously from then, you know, obviously I have it pediatricians and and so forth. Um, but that was the the lifestyle that I kind of put on a pedestal in my life. And that was the first experience. And then from there, kind of, I just had multiple experiences where I said, you know what, this is what I really want to do. And um, another big experience for me when I w- was when I was 17 years old, by then we had moved from Queens, New York to um, a town outside of Newark, New Jersey. And I had an experience where I got to shadow a trauma surgeon and literally, my parents dropped me off in front of the hospital. They talked to the trauma surgeon who was going to watch me for or let me shadow him for a couple of hours. And literally, as soon as they left, you know, a guy got shot multiple times. And I literally got whisked into the ER. They put me in a corner and it's just like this chaos. But obviously to them, it's organized chaos. People are going crazy and this guy is screaming because he's in pain and people are being directed to go here, there, all these different uh, areas. But the person who was the coolest, the person who was in charge was the physician that I was watching. And, you know, he's just 
telling people to do this, telling people to do that. And, you know, it's literally like like almost like a uh, like he's like a, a maestro, like a like it's a concert, you know, and people are, are it just to me, it's like chaos. And then just like that, boom, he makes a decision to go to the operating room. Obviously, at that time and at that age, I wasn't allowed to go. You know, I waited a couple hours, you know, and I come back and, you know, he's hugging the family and letting them know that, you know, their son is OK. And, you know, I didn't really understand all the specifics of what was going on. But I just kind of fell in love with 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 medicine. Then I fell in love with being a trauma surgeon um, at that very moment. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> so rewind a little bit and go tell us how you go from watching a TV show. And, and it's funny that you mentioned the TV show is the spark of this because we always joke that you shouldn't want to be a physician because you like watching Grey's Anatomy. For you, it's watching Cosby. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you go from from watching the Cosby Show and, and actually rewind a little bit before that? Being being a minority yourself, what what was it about watching another minority man? be a physician what were there dynamics in your life or or things in your life where you maybe were told that you couldn't be a physician and but you were watching one on tv talk about that a little bit because i know there are a lot of minorities that listen to this show that would love to hear some of those dynamics um for me it's a little bit different um you know i grew up in queens new york um where i grew up was literally the projects left rack city um but um, I grew up in a two-parent household. My parents are from Ghana, West Africa, um, and I grew up in a household where my mother was there and where my father was there. And we grew up in a situation where, you know, we looking back, obviously we were poor, we were low income, but it didn't feel that way. Um, you know, education was stressed very, very much in the household. Um, I wasn't gonna, you know, there just really wasn't that option to fail. There really wasn't that option um, to not succeed. And although, you know, there was chaos outside of the apartment complex where we lived, um, it was a very stable environment in the house. You know, I was kind of protected from that. And then when I went out, you know, I had um, three older sisters and we were very close and they watched over from, over me. Um, so I never really had that um, that sense that I really couldn't accomplish something. Um, I think sometimes in, in, in a situation like the Cosby show or in a situation of a physician when there's nobody really to kind of be as a role model, you kind of just latch on to whatever you see. And for me, I latched on to the TV show of, you know, the TV show personality, the TV show persona of what a physician is. And that was the Cosby show. And obviously that's a big departure than compared to what my life is like right now or what, you know, an, ob- an obstet- obstetrician's life is right now. Um, but for me, that was what I grabbed onto. Um, but to be honest with you, I never really had that feeling that I couldn't do this or, or I couldn't do that because, it, you know, in my household, it was really reinforced that, look, you know, there are going to be people who judge you based off of your looks and 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 judge you based off of your color. But at the same time, the greatest equalizer is education. You're going to have to work, you know, 10 times harder. I got all of those different things. You're going to have to work you know, 10 times harder, you're going to have to do this. But that was set so early in my life, that was the norm. Um, so um, I never had that feeling of inferiority. I just had that feeling that I just had to work harder. Okay, that's awesome. So take those next steps. You you go from watching a TV show to shadowing in this emergency department, watching this gunshot wound patient come in and, and be whisked away by the trauma surgeon. 
How did you know what those steps should be for you to start getting that exposure and, and taking those steps to, to ultimately <laughs> apply to medical school? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I didn't know the steps. So I am the story of what you should not want to do to get into <laughs> medical school. That's the reason why for me, I always give back to medical students. I always, or excuse me, pre-med students. Um, you know, I try to talk to as many college students as possible and let them know that I'm the cautionary tale of what you really should not do when you get in. So for me, I just thought that you did well in school. And if you did well in school, then you would get into medical school. That's it. Right. That's easy. So, you know, that's easy. You know, so what I mean by that is you just do well in school and then you figure it out as you go, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So in college, I ran track in college. Um, I ran, you know, I was a mid-distance runner. So for me, obviously, that was my world, right? And then everything else kind of um, was in the periphery, including academics. I was an okay student, but I just knew that, you know, everything kind of revolved around practice time. Everything revolved around my track meets. And as a result, you know, I, um, you know, I, I, I think I could have done better if I had focused more on my academics. But, you know, I was, I was an average student. Um I didn't reach out to my pre-med advisors as much as I should have, I think, looking back. Um, you know, obviously, there was a bunch of information that was giving out. Um, and when I went and spoke to my pre-med advisor, obviously, um, the things that, um, you know, I was told was, you know, look, you know, there are two types of, of med students. There is the med student who's going to get in and there's the med student who's not going to get in. So I never thought that there was like a middle ground. The med student I, that got in is the one that's going to apply to Georgetown, Harvard, Yale, um, all the top notch schools. And then the one that applies and then the other ones are the ones that don't get in, if you know what I mean. So there was no middle ground. So for me, when I was applying or when I was getting my experiences, my experiences were always, well, I'll end up going to one of those schools, which was a big mistake for me. So when I applied, I applied to all of those schools. I never applied to any middle of the range or quote unquote, you know, in medical school, when you're applying to medical school, there really isn't any safety schools. Um, yeah. But, but, I didn't but according, to according to pre-med students and certain three-letter form websites out there, there are the top tier and the mid tier Absolutely. and the lower tier. Absolutely. So I didn't I did not apply to any of those schools just because that's not what, you know, my classmates or my counterparts did, you know. And um, so I, I basically did not reach out for help much. Um, I did not commiserate with other people. Um, I just kind of did it on my own and just kind of did it the way how I thought it was supposed to go. And unfortunately, I applied the first time and I got waitlisted at a couple of schools <laughs> and um I uh, um, I got rejected ultimately, and that was a huge letdown for me, big letdown for me. Have what uh, what? How many schools did you end up applying to that first time? If you remember, I applied to about fourteen or fifteen medical schools. Okay. Very expensive. I did everything out of pocket. I didn't know anything about fee waivers. Um, you know, I asked my parents if I can borrow some money to go on some of the flights for some interviews that were away from where, you know, away from where I was, um, if it was a long trip from where I was in college. Um, you know, everything, everything was just out of pocket. And I just put so much effort into it. When I didn't get in, it was completely devastating. Yeah, I bet. And same for me, obviously, ap applying the first time, not getting in. What were those next steps that you took to figure out why you didn't ultimately get accepted? Ooh-wee. <laughs> yeah, 
So, um, you know, I went through a, a couple of processes. The first one was I started to mourn. Like I really, really started to, well, I mean, ultimately I, I put my self-worth, I equated my self-worth with getting into medical school. So mm-hmm. you can kind of guess how that went. Um, if I didn't get into medical school, then what was the point of me going through all of these four years of, or three and a half years at that time of, of, of college? There was no plan B for you? There was no plan B for Good. me. You know, I, I, I was studying biology um, and I didn't know that you can do other majors because, you know, everybody did biology or chemistry or um, some type of science. And then that's what they'd use to get into to medical school. I understood that you needed prerequisites. Um, but, you know, I thought, well, OK, if I don't get in, then obviously I'm going to have to reapply. And if I don't reapply, then maybe I'll become like a biology teacher or some type of biology researcher. Um you know, something that I obviously didn't have much of a passion for. So that actually, that thought process made things very scary for me because I had no idea. I didn't do any research into understanding what it's like to to do research or to do some type of PhD bench work or anything like that. Um, so after I mourned about things and then after I, you know, started to really reassess, you know, what I was doing and who I was and what this meant, um, Somehow, some way, I just kind of just took a step back and said, look, I need to be more strategic about things. And um, the first thing I did is um, I graduated from from college. That summer, I actually worked at a at a at a uh, company called the the Sports Authority. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I worked at the Sports Authority for the summer and my coach had reached out to me and he asked me, he's like, what are you doing right now? I don't know. I'm working at the Sports Authority. I'll figure it out. <laughs> You know, it's like working at the Gap, I guess. Yep. You know, I got this biology degree, and I'm working at the Sports Authority, selling sneakers and getting discounts on the, on Jordans. <laughs> and <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not really doing much. He said, look, why don't you consider coming back? We need someone to be a graduate assistant. And I said, what's a graduate assistant? He's like, well, you know, you can come and help us coach the track team and the cross country team, and then in return, you can get a portion of your tuition paid for if you want to continue some of your studies and, and, um, towards, you know, getting into medical school. I said, what? Really? (laughs) Get out of here. So I thought about it for about 15 minutes and called him back. I said, yes, I'm in. (laughs) I said, yes, I am. Cause look, what was, what what else was I going to do? It's either continue working at the sports authority and work my way up and become manager. And then I become, you know, part of the process Right. You know, next, you know, five years down the road, I'm still working here or I try to go back and try to get my grades better or take the MCAT and 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 do better on that. Um, Because I knew at that point, the biggest thing for me was my MCAT score. My grades were actually pretty solid. It's just that I knew that the MCAT score needed to get better. And then my strategy to applying to medical school needed to get better also. So um, that's where I was. And I decided to go back and become a graduate assistant. Do you remember what you got on the MCAT? On the MCAT, I got a 21. Okay. Yeah. So not not doing you much uh, service there. Oh, yeah. Didn't study for it either. <laughs> Talk about that. Why did you not study for it? I was scared. Were, was it scared or was it just being naive to what it actually was? Both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so here's the thing. I, I took Kaplan. Okay. Right. And... You know, at that point, I didn't know what studying really meant. Like, I, to me, in college, studying was, you know, you go to school, you do the homework assignments, and then, you know, when the midterm comes, you study the night before that. 
that's how I studied. Um, and I was doing okay that way. But I didn't understand the concept of a Q-bank and understanding that you need to do questions over and over and over and over again. I didn't understand the concept of training your brain to take this test. That you, it's just like how I'm training for you know, a big event at the end of the year. I'm going to have to go through this process of going through track meet one in the beginning of the year, then going through practice at the end of that, then going through track meet number two, and then working my way to the point where I'm at this big championship event and I'm ready to go. And I'm going to be performing at peak performance. But before I got to that point, I'm going to have to do all of this work. I did not correlate that to taking the MCAT. Yeah. You know, and, it's, uh, it's interesting. But, I'm, I'm training for a half marathon right now. And I, I see the exact same correlation. Is, is somebody that goes out and runs a half marathon or even a marathon doesn't go out once a week or once a day and go run a mile each time and then come half marathon, run 13 points. Point one miles just all of a sudden and it sounds like that's exactly what you did you're like oh yes I'll, I'll read a little bit here read a little bit here read a little bit here and then take a big four-hour test absolutely absolutely and when i was taking it it was still on paper and me um, too <laughs> you know one one thing that i want to mention to you i i, I don't want to get off track but one thing i do want to mention to you that i think is really fascinating and one of the things that i want the pre-meds to know out there is the importance of reaching out to people and not being an island like that's what i was i was an island i didn't reach out i had a big ego um i didn't talk with other people um it's important to find people who are doing the same thing as you um trying to find like support groups and forums because i'll tell you one thing that up until probably about five, eh, maybe about 10 years ago, I felt pretty comfortable talking to people about, but I kept as a secret. So let, let me I, ask you why. So you, you, you talked about your ego, but everybody knows that the pre-med world is super competitive. Was, was there a hint of that in there too, that, that you were, wanted to stay by yourself because you didn't want to help anybody else or you didn't want to feel like they were going to try to cut you down? I never had that feeling. I, I've always wanted to help people. I just felt like nobody wanted to help me. And, and if I asked certain questions, I just, I always had that feeling of, well, why are you asking that question? Obviously, you're a dummy, right? Like, why would you ask that question? <laughs> yep. That type of feeling I had. So that's why I just kept things to myself. Yeah. And in my mind, you know, that's kind of been my personality to make it out of, you know, Queens, New York, to make it out of Newark, New Jersey. You just, you had to be, you had to be tough. You had to, you had to really focus on your grades and I had to do the things that I had to do to, to, to succeed. And, and I was very successful at that. So the same thought process was in, I carried with me in college and it was very successful. And I, I commiserated with people. I worked with people, but also at the same time, there was, you know, the, you know, working with uh, pre-med students, it's just a different animal, I think. And um, what I was trying to get to is there was a couple of schools that I was put on the wait list but there was one school that sent me some paperwork and it was something that said post-baccalaureate, right? Mm -hmm. So a, a post-bac program. You know what I did with that letter? I read that letter and I was like, what, what's this post-bac stuff? And on that letter, it said basically, and I, I, didn't, read, I didn't read too much in, in depth, but basically what it said was, you know, you know, we apologize that you you can't get into school. We're sorry about that. You know, blah 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 blah. But there's this great program that you can do. You can do X Y Z. Blah 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 blah. And if you do it for a year, guaranteed admission. Maybe, what did I do with that paper? <laughs> you threw it out. Threw it out. Yeah. And I kept that as a secret because I didn't realize what the importance of that until like a year later. And then once I got into medical school, two years later, I started meeting 
this person, that person, this person, that person. Same age as me, took two years off. Some people took five years off. Some people took 10 years off. Yeah, I got in through this post-bac program. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I did this post-bac program. They guaranteed me admission and, oh, that was for real? So it, was, it became a moment of, you know, just kind of like disgust to embarrassment. And I just kept it as a secret, secret, you know, for a long period of time. But if I had talked to other people about that, if I had gone to someone and said, hey, listen, I got this, this, this paper. Like, what does this mean? Explain this post-bac program to me. What, what can I do with this? I would have started, you know, my, my, my journey a lot earlier or a lot sooner. But, you know, ultimately the way how I look at things is, is, you know, things happen for a reason, you know? And, um, the reason that I'm here is just the way how the sequence of events kind of happened, you know, and who's to say if I had started medical school earlier that I would not have been as hungry. I would not have met the people that I've met in my life that kind of put me on the trajectory that I'm at right now. So, um, you know, I look back and I kind of, I'm like, I can't believe I threw that paper away. But also at the same time, it's, you know, it's just, I guess it's serendipity almost. It's just, that's the way how it is, you know, but that's something that I wanted to kind of relate to your, to your audience members to, that we all go through things and we have things that we are kind of embarrassed about or things that, you know, we look back on and we're like, what was I thinking? And uh, we're not all perfect. We all make mistakes, but you know, you can still come through things. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, Nee, I want to take a little twist into a more serious topic and, and talk about diversity in medicine, diversity with physicians. Our physician population doesn't look anything like what our population in the U.S. looks like. And obviously, being a man of color like you are, you're, you're one of the, the minority physicians out there. How do we get more minority pre-med students or more minorities to be interested in being a pre-med student, I guess, to begin with, and get them into medical school? Yeah, it's a, it's a problem, particularly even worse for African-American males, actually. Um, so, yes, I, I do feel, you know, I definitely have the perception or the feeling of, of being a minority at every hospital that I that I go at, that I work at. Um, I think the biggest thing that we can do, obviously, is the pipeline programs. And it has to be from multiple sources. I think um, we go back and we look at, what was it, um, from the AAMC, Project 3000 by 2000, I believe, um, which was they were trying to get 3,000 minority members or minority students yep. into medical school by the year 2000, which was a big failure. Um, that was a top-down approach. I think we need more grassroots approaches um, and these pipeline programs that are feeding people from high school to to college and obviously through through into medical school and so forth. I think that's the best way to to approach this, but it's got to be multifaceted. It's got to be physicians who are coming back to reach. It's got to be lawmakers. It's got to be, um, you know, teachers who are getting involved because it's not just a, it's not just a physician issue. It's, it's really a, a public health issue, yeah. you know, cause as, as you know, and, and, and as I know, you know, patients really, um, identify with their physician if their physician really identifies with them. And that's not just a color thing, but just if they can really identify with them, it's just basically cultural competence. Yep. So if I, if I never grew up in a rural type of experience, then I really won't understand, you know, some of the things or some of the obstacles that my patients who grew up in a rural area will have to go through. Another example would be if, 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 if I'm a physician and I grew up in a rural area, if I go and I work in inner city, uh, New York City or inner city Los Angeles, there's just certain things that 
um, I won't be able to understand and my patients won't be able to have that type of um, interaction. And I'm not saying that 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 this is 100 uh, percent the case, but the majority of the time, that's that's the issue is just cultural competence. Um, so it's it's a very difficult issue. It's a very tough issue. I think another big answer would be obviously to increase the amount of medical schools. Obviously, if you're increasing the amount of medical schools, you're increasing the amount of seats um, that are available uh, to minority students. But it's 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 a very nuanced um answer, I think, that we're going to have to find to increase the amount of minorities uh, in medical school. And the big thing that, that, fear, that I fear is, is, is more importantly, the amount of minority males, particularly black males, and the lack of them in, in medical school. And I think actually based off of the numbers, I think the numbers show that each year the numbers get worse uh, for African-American males, which is pretty scary, actually. Yeah. Talk about it from a financial point of view. Uh, obviously, in your situation, I think is the perfect example Growing up in the projects, being a lower socioeconomic family, and then looking at that price tag of what medical school costs, I think, and this is just my own kind of anecdotal evidence, is is that I think the price tag alone scares a lot of minorities away because they think there's no way I could possibly pay all that back. My family lives off of $30,000 a year. How am I going to pay back $300,000? Um, talk about that. Well, I think I think that's part of the um, I think that's a part of the picture. I think one of the bigger things, obviously, too, is not having as many, um, let's just say, role models who are doing that in 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 these areas, in these neighborhoods, whether it's a suburban area or whether it's you know an inner city area. If you don't see anybody who looks like you doing that job, it's very hard to envision yourself doing that job. Um, I think one of the bigger things also is the amount of delayed gratification that's needed to get to that point too can turn a lot of people off also. Um, you know, we're talking about 13, 15, sometimes even 17 years of training, um, you know, from high school onwards to, to get to that point. And I think also, I think a smaller perspective would be, you know, the amount of education or the amount of the price tag of education to, um, to, to reach the end goal. So with uh, for me, for example, I, I write about this not on my uh, on my my website, but me and my wife have a blog um, that we write called Keeping Up with the Darkos, where we talk about our issues with with student loans. And we don't have a negative look on loans. We just have, you know, this is what we have to do to get our loans paid off. Like we have loans that are from college and then obviously we have loans that the majority of it is from co from uh, medical school as well as from our MBAs. And. You know, it's just one of those things that you just need that we needed to get to a point of of where we're at. And um, if they were useful, we needed them. If we didn't have the loans, we wouldn't have been able to get to this point. So um, we take a different perspective on that. And, and, and that's how I feel about it. And I think for the most part, I think most people it's expensive, but I think it's kind of one of those things that's on the periphery. I think the biggest thing is just the lack of, of, of role models, the lack of, the lack of um, opportunity, um, pipeline programs. Those are bigger things, I think, in terms of minority um, enrollment into medical schools. Okay. Reset your mic for me. It just started at the last minute, getting a little fuzzy. How are we doing now? Perfect. Um, all right. So I think what you're trying to say is somebody needs to reboot the Cosby show to get another black doctor role model on TV. 
<laughs> that would it, be helpful. It works that for you, so it's got to work for somebody else. All right, absolutely. You know, I, it's it's just, <laughs> you know, we we, um, you know, it's I, I think it's 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 a it's an interesting time now. I think it, the more diverse you know, TV is, I think the more diverse we are in society, I think the more inclusive we are. I think that's just, I, just, I think those two things are inherent, right? Yeah. Um, the more you grow up with people who look like you, I mean, we have in the Olympics, you have the first fencer who is wearing a hijab, you know? Yeah. When, I, when I was growing up in the high school that I went to, the high school I went to was a very diverse high school in Newark, New Jersey. And some of the best sports that we were good at were sports that I guess traditionally minority students didn't do well in like we my school that I go to has the best soccer program high school soccer program in the country. We also at one point had the best fencing program in the country. So seeing fencers who are African American or Hispanic for me is just it's common knowledge. Mm. You know or seeing soccer players who are amazing and they just happen to be um you know, African-American or Hispanic or what have you, it's just common to me. I think it's the more we have diverse experiences, I think the more inclusive we are. I think it just becomes part of the the, the lexicon. It becomes so normal that, you know, everybody's included. Yeah, that's awesome. Me, talk about your podcast, your website, Doctors Outside the Box. What was the the impetus for starting that? <laughs> so the impetus for Docs Outside the Box is... So I went through college. That was four years. Then I did two years off and I did graduate assistantship. That was another two years. Then I went and I did medical school for four years. Then I did residency, general surgery residency for five years. Then I did a trauma fellowship in Miami for one year. So basically, my entire life has been delayed gratification, delaying and sacrificing everything that I want to do, everything that I really want for this one single purpose. And during that time, I, I had an interest. I'm a nerd. I'm not going to lie. I had an interest in, in computers. I had an interest in, um, you know, running. I've had an interest in just connecting with people. I just love talking to people. And all those things fell by the wayside just in order for me to become this, the person that you know as Dr. Nee Darko. And at the end of, of, of training, I found a job. And then for me, it's just like, okay, so what's next? What happens now? What do I do now? Every four years or you know, every five years, I'm always packing my bags and I'm going to the next thing or I'm, I'm, my mind is, is thinking forward towards the next hurdle. Well, I didn't have that anymore. And I started to realize that I was at my happiest times when I was involved in multiple things. So for example, in medical school, I was involved in the Student National Medical Association, which is um, the, the minority equivalent of the American student uh, American Medical Student Association, AMSA. Um, and when I was doing things from a national board of directors standpoint, I had a lot of fun doing those things. I felt engaged in things. And now I'm just a doctor and, and, and that's all I was doing. And I'm treating patients on a daily basis. It's great. But there's just so much more to me. And when I, um, when I finished my fellowship, I did locum tenens, which is basically temp work. You go to different hospitals, you work as a temp person, and you go and you try at the hospital, and they try you out, and then you decide if you want to work there. But there's a circuit of places that you go to, and there's a circuit of doctors that you'll just run through. And I happened to meet multiple physicians, surgeons who were just doing extraordinary things that you would never, ever think that they were doing 
you know, crazy things. Like I met people who were in Doctors Without border, Borders and they would just come back from Liberia and, you know, they said that, hey, look, I just do this to kind of just pay for what I when I go back to Liberia and this, you know, what I what I make here will help me kind of stay in Liberia or stay in West Africa or stay in, you know, this austere environment for the next six months. This other person is is a is a consultant for, you know, some TV show on CBS. This person is is, um, you know, is a blogger. This other person is starting, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, wait, I never heard any of these stories when I was in medical school. I never heard any of these stories when I was in college. And maybe I would have changed direction. Maybe I would have done things a little bit differently if I had heard these stories a lot sooner. And that's when the idea for Docs Outside the Box came out. And it said, look, if I take my experience of basically all the things that I wanted to do that fall that fell by the wayside, combine that with all of these stories that are out there of these people doing extraordinary things. And they're just ordinary doctors. They're doing extraordinary things, though. <laughs> that's the tagline. Um I decided to just start interviewing people and I started off with the people that I knew, the closest people to me, and it just kind of just exploded from there. And people were just like, hey, man, I want more of these stories. And I'm like, okay, sure, great. Yeah, I, I know this person. I know that person. Let me interview them. And the, the reception that I've gotten so far has been amazing. Um, it's been rejuvenating to me, not just from a, um, not just from a personal side, but also from a, from a, practice standpoint also it's kind of helped rejuvenate my career a little bit um you know right now about three years out four years out and it's helped to kind of just change my perspective on how i practice and help me to kind of understand that i need to have a more balanced approach to how i how i do my job and you know my family is very important my family is my number one priority my work is my number one priority but having all of that stuff in balance is just is is, is very important um, so Docs Outside the Box basically is a podcast where I interview ordinary doctors who are doing extraordinary things. Yeah. And uh, right now, you know, I'm waiting to find out when I can get you on the show <laughs> <laughs> because you're doing extraordinary things. Um, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think um, the pre-meds that, that, that are your um, – you know, that's your audience. They're, they're much better for what you're doing out there. So I'd love to have you on the show. Um, but it's, it's really a passion project for me right now. So I hope, you know, sometime your, your listeners get a chance to take a listen. Yeah. Docs Outside the Box. Whatever app you're using to listen to this right now, go subscribe to Docs Outside the Box. That's an easy yeah. one. Yeah. We're on Google Play. We're on, well, and that's the other thing, like, I keep saying we, like, it's literally just <laughs> me. It's just me. I'm talking to well, you and your guests. Yeah, me and my guests, we're on Google Play, we're on Stitcher Radio, um, we're also on iTunes, yeah. and um, you know, take a listen. All those good places. That's awesome. Nee, as we wrap up here, I, I'm sure there are more than, than a handful of young African-American or, or black males that are listening to this, wondering if it's possible for them to, to fulfill their dreams of becoming a physician. What do you tell them and, and, and every pre-med student out there that's on the, the beginning of their journey? So I tell them all, my advice to all of them is to take a deep breath, relax, dream, you know, dream what it's like to be on the other end, which is obviously becoming a physician, but really understand why. Get the why. Why do you want to be a physician? What's so important that you want to sacrifice, you know, X, Y, and Z to get to this end product of having an MD degree or having your DO degree? Really understand the why. And then also understand that if I can do it, 
Anybody can do it. Trust me. And the number one thing that you have to do, the number one way to make yourself a better pre-med is to think strategically about it. Remember, like it's it's Rome wasn't built in one day. It's going to take time for you to get to the point where you are applying to medical school and making yourself the best person that you can be. So it's very important that you are strategic, you commiserate with people, you you talk with other people, you read as much as possible, you read books on, you know, what's the best way to make yourself the strongest applicant that you can. And then also at the same time, not everybody gets in. Getting into medical school is one of the hardest things that you can do. Only what, less than 50% of applicants get into yeah, medical less school? Less than 40 these days. And that's okay. Yep. That's okay. It's tough to get in, but you can always reapply. So my 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 overall advice to to medical students, or excuse me, to pre-med students is take a deep breath. You're going to get in, but be strategic about things. Try to really embrace the why of why you wanted to want to get into medical school. And remember that no man is an island. If you try to do this by yourself, you are really setting yourself up for failure because ultimately you're not going to practice that way anyway. In medicine, it's a team approach. It's cooperative. You work not only, it's not you telling your patients what to do. It's you, you know, in a coordinated fashion, helping your patients to a point where they're in a better state of health. So doing it by yourself is just setting yourself up to a point where you're going to be shocked when you get into medicine and you realize that there's really no place for just barking down orders or doing things your way. It really is a coordinated effort. So that's my advice is, is remain positive. All right. That was Dr. Ni Darko sharing his path and what he's doing with Docs Outside the Box. You can go check out his podcast, his website at docsotb.com. That's D-O-C-S-O-T-B.com. Again, links to all of this will be in the show notes, which you can get at medicalschoolhq.net slash 196. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash 196. Go check out everything that Nee's doing. Again, docs outside the box. I want to take a second to thank Malala13233 that left a review saying, never stop making these. I don't know if I can promise never, but I don't have any plans in the near future to stop. So hopefully we, we live up to that hope. She said, or he said, this helps me with not only school, but also life problems. I really love how you guys talk about everything else in life and not stuff related just to medicine. It's really, really, really helpful with four, four, one, two, three, four exclamation points. So three reallys and four exclamation points. I think we're helping that person. So awesome. Thank you for that review. If you would like to leave a review and haven't yet, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes will take you right into iTunes where you can subscribe. And don't forget, if you like this show but don't listen to the other ones that we do, you can go check out everything that we're doing over at mededmedia.com. That also includes the medical school interview book that is now out and available on Amazon. Go check it out, medschoolinterviewbook.com. It was a bestseller for the first week it was out. It has sadly dropped into the number two spot in its categories, and so it's no longer no longer labeled a bestseller right at this minute. Hopefully we can get it back up to that number one spot soon. 
I appreciate you joining me here again on the Pre-Med Years podcast. If there's anything I can do to help make your journey any easier, any better, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. And in the meantime, I hope you continue listening here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years podcast.